Jesus does not merely provide us life, He is our life. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chapel reveals how we can be alive in Christ. When the preacher's preaching about the resurrection and the new life and death to the old life, we ought not be saying, ho, ho, he might be saying that we ought, to, it's, it, we ought not to be going off and partying tonight, drinking our beer at the game or whatever. That's exactly what I'm preaching. God said that we're to be dead to the old life and we're to be alive to the new life in Jesus Christ. God did not send Jesus merely to get us to heaven, but to get heaven in us. He is the basis of our life, abiding in us, transforming us from the inside out, and guiding every area of our life. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. Spiritual activities done in our own strength are broken and empty. In our series, Alive in Christ, we will learn how to put our pride and selfish motivations behind us and live a life directed and empowered by Jesus Christ. And now, here's Dr. Paul Chapel with part two of a message called Grace to Trust. I plan my day, my week, my month, my year. I plan, I believe in planning. I teach planning to our staff. But I want you to understand that there is a danger in too much planning. And the danger in too much planning is that we can leave God out of our plan. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a new barn. And then I'm going to get enough stuff. And I'll have enough in my 401k. And I'll have enough in my investments that I can say, eat, drink, and be merry. The problem is not planning. The problem was that his planning left God out. He wasn't asking God to make him successful so that he could be a blessing. He was asking that he would be successful only for himself. He had what we sometimes call a scarcity mentality. His mentality was, I've got to get as much as I can get for the rainy day, rather than an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality says, I want to invest so that I can be ready to give. I want to possess so that I can be willing to distribute. He had really a false sense of security. He thought, you know what? I want to have goods laid up for many years. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Someone said, if you make money your God, it will plague you like the devil. You'll never have enough. It will always worry you. And many times, frankly, someone that just gets a whole bunch of money, it's not always the best thing. In fact, some of you might recall some of the stories from those that have won the lottery. William Post won $16 million in 1988. He was sued later by a former girlfriend who wanted the money, and his brother hired a hitman hoping to murder him and inherit it. He was $1 million in debt in a year and later went to jail for shooting a gun over a bill collector's head. He called winning the money a nightmare. He died in 2006 after declaring bankruptcy. You see what tithing can help you avoid. (laughs) Jeffrey Dampier won $20 million in 1996. He bought houses for relatives. Several years later, a sister-in-law and her boyfriend kidnapped and murdered him for the money. Now, the Bible says, charge those that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. So I want you to see this in your notes, 1 Timothy 6, 17. 
that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. And that's what we're talking about this morning, that our trust is not in those barns and riches. And it says, but in the living God, watch this now, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, I want you to notice, God is going to give you your salary. He's going to give you things. He says, I want you to enjoy those things, right? We're not preaching for abundance or against abundance. We're just saying, you work, you sell something, you get a commission, you get a paycheck. Praise the Lord. Enjoy the blessing of God. But what else do we do with it? Notice the next verse, verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So God says, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. I want you to enjoy what I give you, but I then want you to do good, and I want you to be rich in good works, and I want you to be ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Now, the word communicate means to give. If we have a missionary come by and, and uh, he's had a broken down car and we take an offering for the missionary and his car gets going, we communicate to him and we communicate that we love him and that we're behind him. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, I want you to be willing to communicate. I don't want you to come to the kid's offering like, all right, let's see how much we're going to have to give here. God says, I want you to be willing to do this. The happiest Christians I know are giving Christians. People that have come to the place of realizing, you know what, yeah, I'm going to set some side for savings, and I believe in planting, but fundamentally I believe that God blesses me to be a steward because he wants me to be a blessing in other ways, and that's the purpose that God has in giving to me. The priority of the worldly man, all he sees is himself, his barns, getting more so he can eat, drink, and be merry. He wants to turn 65 and get on a cruise ship and weigh 500 pounds a year later and just enjoy enjoy every bit of it. I'm not preaching against cruise ships. I'm not preaching against being 500 pounds. I'm just saying there's more to this matter of getting things than just bringing it all to ourself. The worldly man doesn't think biblically. But notice secondly, the pronouncement of God. Now here we see this parable and we hear what this man is saying in the parable. Look what it says in verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? God says, what a ridiculous way to live just for the now and now. What if your soul is required of you? What if your life ended today? What have you done that really matters for eternity? So the pronouncement of God, first of all, is regarding judgment, regarding the matter of judgment. He says, I want you to remember, you're going to stand before God someday. You're going to give an account someday. Matthew 16, 26, what is, it, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Daniel Webster, one of our country's early founders lived by this motto. It's in your notes. My greatest thought is my accountability to God, right? Now, I know there's different people t today in churches that are teaching certain doctrines of grace and certain loose living styles as if we're never going to have to give an account 
uh, for the way that we steward what God has given to us. But the Bible is replete with scriptures that teach that there is a place called the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account for opportunities uh, that have been given to us. And, and Daniel Webster said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. Let's say that together. My greatest thought is my accountability to God. One day I'll give an account to the Lord for his blessings. So regarding the judgment of God, there is this pronouncement, thou fool, you forget that you're going to stand before the Lord. Notice, secondly, regarding stewardship. It says, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? In other words, if you're not here, then what about all this stuff? What have you done with it? What are your thoughts about it? Look at Luke 16 and verse 1. And he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that was, had wasted his goods. And he called and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. You see, the principle in the Bible is that we're going to give an account for our stewardship. All of the blessings that God has given to us. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, One day I will give an account for being a pastor here. I'll stand before the Lord and I'll give an account for the way I lead this church. And all of us should live our lives with that accounting in mind. Now, a few weeks ago, we had our CPA firm come through the church here and they set up shop in our conference room and they asked our staff for all kinds of books and computer access and, and we have our annual audit. It's a full audit. And, Thank the Lord for the wonderful report they bring and give to our deacons year after year and for the great job our staff does. But when the auditors come to study our stewardship, they're, they're not primarily looking for the volume uh, of finances. They're looking for the accuracy and the stewardship with which the finances are kept. They're looking to the policies and the purchase orders and the processes of the ministry. They want to know that we are stewarding well. And what I'm saying to you this morning, it doesn't matter if you make $10 an hour or $100,000 a year. What God is interested in is how are you handling his money? Because it's not yours and it's not mine. He's the owner. We're just the stewards. We're the managers of it. And so we see that regarding stewardship, this man has to hear a pronouncement from God. He says, look, you got it all wrong. What if life ends today? You're going to have to give an account for the way you've lived. And so we see the priority of a worldly man. All he thinks about is me, mine, me, mine, right? And then we see the pronouncement of God. Wait a minute, life's gonna end. You better think about eternity. And so that brings us finally to the really the heart of our message, and that is the pathway to trust. You remember what we're talking about today? Grace to trust him more. How can we develop that life of trust that meets the needs of today and even the plans for tomorrow, but really lives with eternity in mind? What's the pathway to that style of life. What is the pathway? What is God's counsel to this man? Now the first, and this is key, if you get nothing else, get this, is that if you want to live with eternity in mind, if you want to live obediently to the Lord, then you must first practice reverential trust. You must learn to trust God. Trust in the Lord. Look at Luke 12, 22. He said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of, for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. Now I want you to see a phrase here, and this phrase several years ago just struck my heart. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's in verse 22. You might want to find it right now while I'm talking. 
I mean, this meant so much to me. I put it on a card, I put it in my pocket, and now it's under the glass on my desk. That's how important this phrase is to me. And uh, how many of you know what I mean? Glass on top of my desk, right? You slip it right under there. If your desk is clean, you see it very regularly. And here's what I have under my desk, these words. Take no thought. Would you say that with me? Take no thought. Because I think a lot. (laughs) And I plan a lot. And sometimes I worry about things. Sometimes as a pastor, I worry for the flock. Where were those folks? I didn't see them in their spot. Well, what about this need for tomorrow? And what about that family that's going through that tough time? And how are we going to pay the bill this summer? And what are we going to do for that missionary? And what about my children and my grandchild? And I'm like you. I have a lot of thoughts. And sometimes type A personalities think polyphasically. That, I mean, we're just thinking stuff all the time. Sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night. When I was going through a season in my life, I read the scripture, take no thought. You know what it means, don't you? It means stop worrying. And sometimes we take too much thought, and many Christians are giving less than they could, not because you're making less, but because you're worrying more. Now, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. I, ha- I don't make it a matter of checking everybody's giving. I just know there's people here right now who do not give. There are some who don't think they can give. And sometimes the reason for that is we're taking so much thought and we're so full of worry. And like I was when I was 20 and began tithing. When I began tithing 37 years ago, I, I-, I thought, how can this work? And someone said, just trust the Lord with all your heart. And Terry and I made a decision that we would honor God and that we would honor him with the first fruits of everything he gave to us. We began to practice trust. And I'm glad we did because when you're trusting God, you get to see him meet so many needs in so many wonderful ways. And if you don't trust God, you're full of worry and anxiety and that can negatively affect even a marriage. I heard about a couple that was having a heated discussion regarding their family finances and finally the husband exploded. He said, you know... If it weren't for my money, this television set would not even be here right now. And he said, if it weren't for my money, that chair you're sitting in wouldn't even be there right now. And if it weren't for my money, this house wouldn't even have been built. It wouldn't even be here right now. And the wife looked at him and said, are you kidding? If it weren't for your money, I wouldn't even be here right now. (laughs) A lot of people have trouble with money issues, you know. But when two people come together and start trusting God... It really makes a big difference in their life. Stop worrying, but start trusting God. How's it going to work? I can't tell you. Just trust the Lord. Consider God's provision. Trust in the Lord with all the heart. Look at how God provides. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens. Let's say that together, shall we? Consider the For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, but God feedeth them. Now, I've lived in the valley here for more than three decades, and i got to tell you, I have seen a lot of ravens. How many of you have seen the ravens around the Valley? Anybody like me? I mean, I I tell you, I look at our trash can sometimes. It's got a little overflowing in there and stuff. So I go push that trash can down. Then I close the lid. Then I put a big, big rock, maybe 30-pound rock on top of that trash can. And a raven comes and jumps on the trash can. And with one movement of the beak, boom, throws that 30-pound rock right off. 
That's kind of ravens. We look at, I've seen ravens flying around this valley with Walmart bags and with refrigerators carrying them around. I'm telling you, I've never seen a skinny raven in Lancaster, not one time. We have some healthy ravens up here in this desert. And God says, okay, you're worried about trusting me. You've got to fill up your barn. You've got to get all your goals met. That's why you can't give to the Kid City offering because you've got all these goals, right? Why don't you just look at the ravens? They don't get up worrying about food. They're going to go to pastor's house and get it out of his trash can. <laughs> they already know what they're going to do. And then he says in another verse here, in verse 27, he says, okay, look, why don't you just consider the grass of the field. Why don't you consider the lilies, how they grow? God takes care of it. Just some of you, as you see the flowers coming up over these next few months, just remember, God will take care of you as well. God will meet your every need. God will provide. So we need to learn first and foremost how to trust God. This is not really a series about stewardship and giving. Fundamentally, it's about just trusting God. Can we trust God? with tithing and with offerings. And then let me say finally as we close, we must prioritize our eternal investments. We must prioritize our eternal investments. Now I want you to look here at a couple verses. Look at verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And then notice also if you would as you look down in this passage at verse number 33 the Bible says, sell ye what you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags with wa which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, can I tell you that stewardship's about building your trust? And one of the reasons that we have some really strong Christians at Lancaster Baptist Church is because they've learned how to trust God with their finances. They've learned that God will take care of them. And the strength of the church is not found in the building. It's found in the hearts of God's people, people that have made these particular investments. Now, the Lord does not co condemn the man for savings. He does not condemn him for saving. He only is condemning him for not having eternal savings, for not thinking of the things in the next life. In fact, Proverbs eleven sixteen says, a strong man retains riches. But our saving and our investing should only enhance our giving. And we should use our affluence for eternal influence. Let me say that again. Use our affluence for eternal influence, right? And God blesses us to be a blessing. So how do we prioritize this? Let me give you two ways. First of all, we prioritize it in our systematic giving or our weekly giving. Even unsaved people know that Christians are supposed to tithe. Even people that don't believe in God know that, right? And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, let every one of you. Now, in the Greek, that means every one of you. All right? Want to make sure we all get that. So, on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. In the Old Testament, the storehouse was the temple. In the New Testament, it's the local church. And it says this, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. 
So when I gave in the first service this morning, on the top line of that envelope, I just put down my tithe, uh, my grace offering, if you want to call it that, and I put that amount there and placed that into the offering. That's the first fruits. Look in your notes, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The first fruits, that's the tithe, the, the very first. You make $100, you give God 10. And that's the first fruit. Upon the first day of the week, you give God your first fruits. But here's the problem. We view God as a discretionary issue. We view our giving to the Lord as discretionary. In other words, if I can, if I want to, I'm gonna do that, that's discretionary. My car, now that's a priority. And what we're talking about this morning is saying, God, you are the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. And for some of you, it might just help just to automate that and say, you know what? I don't care if I gotta have less In-N-Out burgers, I'm gonna honor the God who's been so good to me every week. Is everybody with me so far this morning? Just seek first the kingdom of God, you see, and honor the Lord. Years ago, on a bump, I saw a bumper sticker out in North Carolina, and it said this. It said, tithe if you love Jesus. Any idiot can honk. And there's a lot of folks that have bumper stickers, and they like Christian music and Christian comedy and uh, hallelujah and all this type of stuff, but they're not honoring the Lord and worshiping the Lord with the first fruit. So I want to encourage you to begin systematic giving. But then, of course, we have also in the Bible, as we saw a few weeks ago with the temple, we have special offerings. And uh, the tithe is the Lord's. If I don't give the tithe, then I'm robbing from that which is already God's. The special offering is as God works in my heart in grace. Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Amy Carmichael said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Let's say that together. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we, right? And there's no greater joy than giving to the Lord and seeing God touch lives with his gospel. God can give you grace to trust him more. The Bible says, see that you grow in this grace also. And you say, well, do we have to give? No, we get to give. And we give because of everything that God has given to us. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You see, salvation is not something we buy. It's a wonderful gift that is given to us. And you don't buy salvation. Years ago during the dark ages, the Roman Catholic Church had an ungodly, heretical way of tricking people into giving money. They called it the indulgences. And as they were building buildings in Rome and in other places, they would go around to wealthy people and they would say, if you have been in sin, if you have committed adultery, if you will give money, then we'll make sure that you don't spend a lot of time in purgatory and ultimately you'll get to heaven. And many of the Anabaptists and the Reformers, they begin to preach against the indulgences. Men like John Huss and Tyndale and Wycliffe and, and uh, men like uh, Peter Waldo, they begin to stand up and preach. You don't buy your way into heaven. Jesus paid your way into heaven, right? And a lot of those men I just mentioned, they were martyred for their faith during the Reformation period. Martin Luther and others, they cried out against uh, this idea of paying for your sin. Listen, 
We're not telling anyone today to give an offering so their sins get covered. The only way our sins get covered is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And if you're here this morning and you've never received that gift, then please don't worry about giving, okay? We want you to think about receiving today, receiving Jesus, because you need to receive Christ as your Savior to have your sins forgiven. But if you have received Christ as Savior, then friend, it's time to start giving to the one who saved your soul. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchapel.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.